0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is lovely to see you this morning. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for Daily Devotions, the Redeeming Life Fellowship, and uh, it's so good to see you. Uh, Bryce, Faith, Glenn, uh, Stephen, Luke, uh, Rob, Deb, David. Uh, It is so lovely to see your beautiful faces today. Uh, But yeah, today, as we're following the Redeeming Life reading plan, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 22. And this is uh, a very critical point in Matthew's telling the story of Jesus, particularly because there's a certain tension that's been building up throughout the text between Jesus and his challenging the authority of the religious leaders of the day, namely the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And all of this is going to come to a, a, a head where the, the the fiercest fighting and the clashes between the authority of Jesus. And that of not only the religious leaders of the day, but also of Rome uh, is going to come to a head where this clashing of authority is going to get, uh, going to be the fiercest and it's going to be the most pronounced and it's going to be the most challenging. And and all of this is leading up to uh, here at this point where Jesus is going to be entering into Jerusalem, the um, the centerpiece or center point where the conflict is going to be the strongest, uh, where Jesus and his ministry is going to be met with the most hostility. And indeed, this is all the things that are leading up to, uh, basically, Jesus's um, uh, agony in the garden, the Last Supper, um, his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And so, right here in uh in chapter 21, where Jesus is going to be, as far as the text is concerned, as far as Matthew's storytelling of, of Jesus' life is kind of, that, that he's, that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And it's quite clear, if we've been reading carefully up until this point, that he knows that this trip, in, it's going into Jerusalem, is going to be the one that's going to lead to his death. That he knows this already. And, the, and everything is building up towards it. And, uh what you'll find in this text, as France rightly notes that uh there's at least th- three symbolic acts that Jesus performs that are that bear a certain meaning to how it is that we're going to understand the rest of the, the rest of his ministry here in Jerusalem leading up to his salvific death on the cross, and uh one of them. Being where Jesus is going to be flipping over uh, tables in the temple and doing so because uh, by doing that he is putting himself in a place where he has authority over the temple, the place where the presence of God dwells. Um, Another symbolic act where Jesus curses the fig tree and it shrivels up, uh, which is uh, a way of symbolizing. How it is that Jesus has, has come into Jerusalem, and uh, basically like this fig tree, where he sees this fig tree, it's full of of a lot of of leaves, but it doesn't have any fruit. And so, even though the the tree is still alive, uh, because it doesn't have any fruit, it doesn't it's it's going to get cut down, and that is serving as this symbol of this uh, fruitless Jerusalem, where the, the the place where there's the temple of God and that uh, should bear the kinds of fruits of righteousness and repentance and right worship to God, uh, it's all leaves but no fruit. And it's serving as this symbolic enactment of judgment against uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so, and not just them, but certainly specifically them. But then there is the, the first thing that we're going to read where Jesus uh what's oftentimes called his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And uh, this, like uh, the, like John, uh, they recognize what Jesus is doing here is one of prophetic fulfillment. In other words, where by doing this, that Jesus is fulfilling something that was, uh, there's a, a weight of expectation on who the Messiah is and what it is that he's going to do so that when he does this, then you can see that he's the messiah that he's god's anointed his chosen one to be the 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 person who would uh rescue his people and be their their ruler their king and uh and i remember even as a kid where when it, as we would be getting closer and closer to easter this holy week for for christians where there's three uh Principal celebrations that at least we had growing up. That's Palm Sunday, which celebrates what this is um, uh, Good Friday uh, the the day when we uh, When when Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples, but then his suffers dies is is crucified and buried on Good Friday, but then uh, Easter morning celebrating Jesus's resurrection and That of all of these, it always seemed to me that Palm Sunday was the one that I understood the least. Because as a symbolic act, it was never really that clear in my head about what this sort of thing is actually supposed to symbolize. So that here's Jesus, a person known as a, a prophet from Galilee, Nazareth of Galilee, as we'll find out at the end of the text who's coming in with this uh uh this crowd this swelling crowd of enthusiastic followers who are coming in um uh, to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover uh where um religious fervor is at this fever pitch that uh there's you know excitement and um uh, because this is the the the, the biggest event uh, annual event uh, in all of the Holy Land, but but to see Jesus coming in here, and there's these um, uh, mention of the donkey and the palm branches being wove, uh, f- uh, you know, waved around and or thrown at the feet, is and you know, cloaks that are being laid out to to sort of clear this way for Jesus to come through, was all actually very foreign to me because I just didn't know what it is that it symbolized. So. What I want us to do is to read this and to try and get a picture about what it is specifically that this is supposed to symbolize. Because like any kind of symbolic action or prophetic symbolic action, when Jesus is doing this, he is doing it deliberately as a way of fulfilling prophecy. But it's not just a matter of my mistaken way of thinking about it. That is... Where you're you're looking at the prophets like a script, so that Jesus is, you know, reading the prophet of Zechariah and, and and reading this prophecy and saying, Oh, um the Messiah is supposed to come riding on a donkey. Got it. So then he commands his his uh disciples to go and you know get a donkey and 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 ride into Jerusalem because, well, that's just what it was prophesied. So here we go but that it's prophesied because there's meaning in the action that was prophesied. Um, and so, let's sit down uh, and read together. We're going to focus really on verses 1 through 11. So, very rather short passage for us today. So, and it reads this. Uh, Matthew 21, verse, verse 1, says, As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Uh, side note, this is not just an ancient equivalent of carjacking or like an enterprise car rental. This is something that's totally different. Um We'll read and find out why. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So by doing this, certainly foreign to our understanding of kingship, that in this symbolic action that Jesus as the Messiah God's chosen one is entering Jerusalem in this way as a symbolic action as a king. So, in other words, for all the things that the symbolic action does mean, indeed, as his messianic claims that Jesus really is who he said he was, that he is the Messiah because he can do the sort of things that he does, uh, that in. In this action, this is intimately, intimately bound up with kingship, and indeed a kingship that is unlike the way that we typically think about kings—that is, you know, riding on a war horse with, uh, you know, armor and blood and, um, and swords and spears—who uh, who enters, indeed, as a conqueror, um, but Jesus. Uh, he is coming in a way that reflects the gentleness and the meekness of the kingdom of God by riding on the um, on a colt, on a donkey, uh, something that you would never take with you into war because these are beasts of burden. They are not uh, beasts of armed conflict. Um, and that's the way Jesus is coming in, but that however it is that we we understand this symbolic action to mean it must mean that that Jesus understands his entry, his coming into Jerusalem as a king. Verse six, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. We'll pause there. Hosanna is um, a Greek transliteration of a Hebrew that comes from uh, Psalm, principally from Psalm 118, I believe verses 25 and 26, that basically means save now. In other words, crying out to God for salvation, uh, which by this time is also used as a term of praise so that you can say, Hosanna to the Son of David, giving praise to God for his salvation. That that's what they're saying as Jesus is coming in, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred uh, indeed, you could also say like disturbed or aroused and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And it's worth noting in verse 10, where it says the whole, Jesus entered Jerusalem and the whole city was stirred. The only other time that this had happened, according to Matthew, was when the Magi came looking for a king and it stirred up, aroused caused fear and disturbance among the whole city uh, or among the, the, the people to say, who is this king? And so in the same manner that as the the Magi were coming and looking for a king, a king that the people of Jerusalem who would not recognize, it's happening again uh, already, that the city is astir because they do not recognize who it is as their real real king. And that's, I think, a very instructive point for us, especially when we read a passage like this, in anticipation for the nature of the conflict that's going to be coming, that's going to be escalating, that's going to get fierce, uh, where this is the time. The gloves are off, or you're taking off the gloves and putting up your dukes to say, this is, there's, there's going to be a conflict, there's going to be a problem here. So it's, it's interesting now at this point. Uh, remember, like in times before when Jesus is asking the prof- or his, the, you know, his disciples who is it that you say that I am even here they're also asking who it is that the people are asking who is Jesus and at this point the, all of the, the best that they can think of is that, or recognize him as, as, a, as a prophet and what's interesting then that they recognize him as a prophet even though he's coming in as a king so that the, the the crowds who are there are so preoccupied with um, the hearsay and the gossip about who Jesus is that they can't even see who Jesus himself is saying that he is. Uh, and that is that, that he's a king. This is something that's, I think, again, very instructive for us today particularly because we oftentimes have these odd ideas about who Jesus is. And when we think about those ideas about who Jesus is, that informs our attitudes towards him and whether or not we're going to um, love him as, as a savior, indeed, as these people are shouting, Hosanna, save now, uh, but then uh, not be able to actually recognize him as king, indeed as Lord, as a person who actually has authority over our lives. And uh, that's, I think, just as relevant for us today as it's ever been, because uh, whenever there's a person who has a claim to be king, our our hearts have a tendency to want to resist, because, well, uh, historically speaking, human kings have usually not been very good kings, but the funny thing about kingship, honestly, is, is that uh, you know, unlike a democracy where we elect our leaders, a person who is a king, uh, and if you're in his kingdom, he's your king regardless of whether or not you like it or not. Uh, you don't actually have any kind of say in the matter, where it's not as if that you can just elect another king if you don't like him, uh, but um, it's a matter really on our side, whether or not we ever recognize him as the king that he truly is. Maybe we can put it this way. In the game of chess, as long as there are two kings on the chessboard, there's always going to be a fight. And indeed, as we'll be reading throughout the rest of this Passion Week, uh, there's a fight going on because there's two kings on the chessboard. Jesus on the one hand, and every other authority or ruler that... that. Um, that resists Jesus's divine authority as the son of man, as the son of God, um, as indeed God incarnate. And I think it's true that our lives, I think, are sometimes, um, they they, they come apart through conflict, particularly because uh, we're willing to accept Jesus as our savior, but not accept him as king. And uh, until we can see Jesus as king, our hearts are always going to be um, torn apart through conflict because it cannot recognize who it is that's the actual king over our lives. And it's my encouragement to you that you ask yourself, maybe the best way to say it, is to, to ask, yeah, who's, who is it who's really king over your life? Whose voice has the most influence or power over your, your thoughts, your imaginations, Uh, your ambitions, your affections, because we we must ask ourselves in our heart of hearts, uh, is Jesus to us more than a prophet, even indeed more than a savior? Is he our king? Uh, Because that's who he says he is. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time. God bless you. Uh, If you haven't, do uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you get daily notifications to follow along in the reading plan. And I look forward to uh, seeing you in person, meeting you in the flesh and uh, continuing to learn and live and grow as the people of God together. So God bless you. Take care.